Everyone, this is episode 117 of Top Rope Nation, your place for the best in pro wrestling talk. My name is Ryan Drosty, joined here by Justin Joint and Kyle Ross. Boys, I am very fired up for tonight's telecast. So fired up, I might blade on air, even though we're not even doing this on webcam. <laughs> you know what? I even I hear the cocktail in the background. Your mic was picking up like the jingling ice back there, and Ooh, you're ready to go. Yeah, it's a stiff one. Mm. I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. We got to be tight here early on. <laughs> uh, what is it? What are you drinking, Kyle? We haven't done that in a while. What are you drinking during this broadcast? Uh, very standard Jack and Coke. Oh, okay. But it was one of those deals where I just had like a little bit of Jack left in the bottle, or what I thought was a little bit. So I just dumped the rest of it in the glass and... Definitely more than I would normally put in. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I have a Weldworks Brewing Company, a double dry hopped Juicy Bits IPA that my buddy Tim, shout out Tim, brought me back from Colorado this week. Going down nice. Uh, ready to talk some hell in a cell with you guys. We're gonna we're gonna talk in just a moment. But Justin Joint, how's it going across town? Before we get to that, I am good. I am ready to talk some hell in a cell. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead, hit that subscribe button. It helps out the show. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a written review that we can read on the air. If you're listening on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, wherever our podcasts are found, hit that subscribe button. You'll never miss a show. You can find the whole back catalog at topropenation.com. You can find Info about all three of us there. You can find links to all of our merch and ways you can support the show, including patreon.com guys you can help the show grow by funding us over at patreon.com slash top rope nation let's take it right away to our topic of the week it is the mount rushmore of wwe hell in a cell matches so so tonight we are talking the in our opinion the four greatest wwe hell in a cell matches with that pay-per-view here on the horizon and kyle this is something We've kind of talked about in the past. I think this might have been back in 2016 because I think it It was was. before Justin joined the show. It was. It was actually one of our first episodes I think we ever did together. Yeah. So we just kind of assumed um, that there's two matches that all of us are probably going to have on our list. They're two of the most well-known and earliest, actually, the very first two WWE Hell in a Cell matches. Well, uh, you know, first two on pay-per-view. I... I looked it up, and there was one on Raw in between. There was. Yes, I thought there was, and I wanted to do that. My research. There was actually, uh, you know, Vince Russo. Everybody. They did two on Raw in '98 that bookended uh, the very famous Undertaker, Mick Foley, Hell in a Cell. Okay. Yeah, those are the two that uh, the two I was talking about. So. Yeah, you are right. There was one on, it looks like, June 15th, 98. Undertaker and Steve Austin versus Mankind and Kane. Raw's War. And, uh, 
Yeah, then there was the King of the Ring match, The Undertaker and Mankind. Yeah. So, th- yeah, those were within two weeks of each other. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. And then they they apparently did a Mankind and Kane in August. I yeah. Know. I did not remember the tag at all. I vaguely remembered Mankind Kane. Yeah. Spoiler alert, neither of those Raw's War ones will be on my Mount Rushmore. <laughs> yeah, no. Very forgettable, I think. Um, but uh, we wanted to kind of throw this right away to Justin to uh, to get his thoughts on this because for me... Number one, like the greatest Hell in a Cell match to me, and Kyle said this too at the time, is still the first one with The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. So I know we're going to talk top four, but for you, Justin, I mean, are you on the same page as us or maybe not? What what do you think about that take? I I mean, absolutely. Not only is it uh, probably the uh, best Hell in a Cell match, I mean, it's one of the best matches in WWE history, without a doubt. Mm Mm-hmm. A cage no one can enter. Shawn Michaels has his date with destiny. Destiny. A hell no man can escape. Undertaker, I'm going to take you down, put you down, and bury you underneath that ring. There's nowhere to run. There's only one way out. Nowhere to hide. And that's over my dead body. No one to stop the carnage. Sean Michaels, The Undertaker, Hell in a Cell. I can never rest in peace. WWF Bad Blood, in your house, live this Sunday on Pay-Per-View. I have never seen anything like this in my life. Since we talked about that, Kyle, do you have any any more thoughts? I know it's been it's been three years, but it seemed like at the time, if I remember right, we were talking about how Taker and Mankind always gets talked about as like this great match, but it's more memorable for like the two big spots versus HBK and Taker just putting on a clinic of a cell match and it, for something that was brand new at the time. Okay, so both of them are on my Mount Rushmore. Are both of them on each of yours? Yes. Yes, we are smart wrestling fans. Okay, okay. So we've established that. Now let's. I I, I want to revisit the comparison between the two. Okay. Um, I think there are a lot of people on our side here with this take that Taker HBK is greater than Taker Mankind as a match. Uh, I'm very firm in that belief. Listeners of this show know that a lot of times I see gray area in debate. I'm not a black and white guy. Um, you know, I can understand if you feel a different way. With this subject, I very much take a position that Undertaker HBK is a superior Hell in a Cell match. And Ryan, you mentioned that we kind of had a discussion three years ago about this, but I really wanted to revisit it because for me, it it boils down to something when saying the Undertaker-Michaels match is superior. And I agree, by the way, with Justin, it's not only the greatest Cell match ever, it's one of the greatest matches in WWE history. Um, There probably aren't 10 matches in WWE history I would give five stars to. That's one of them. 
So that's kind of the rarefied air it's in with me. But when comparing the two, it boils down to the notion of crescendos. And when I consume any kind of story, TV show, movie, wrestling match, I prefer the crescendo peak of the story to be at the end. And in the instance of Taker and Michaels, that match crescendos at the end with Michaels escaping the cage, getting lawn darted in the side, bleeding all over the place, going up top, press slam, and his bump off the cage, oh, by the way, sports fans, pretty damn impressive in its own right with Taker stepping on the fingers, Lawler yelling, incoming. I mean, that's like an iconic moment that when it happened, it just blew your mind. Like, if you take yourself back to October of 97, you hadn't seen a bump like that before in wrestling. Yeah. And I also want to defend the Kane finish because there's still, I feel like, these bad take people who are like, oh, do you have outside interference. That's, that's minus quarter star right there. Stop it. <laughs> See, to me, <laughs> okay, here's the thing. That finish made perfect sense given the storyline heading into the match. And I was trying to watch this. Um, I guess they did a kind of a mini doc with Michaels, Kane, and Taker. And it was a rare Undertaker, not in character um, interview, which he just gave, it sounded like he was giving via phone. Um, what was it called? Like uncut or something. It's on the network. I, I started to watch it before we went on. I don't think I've ever seen this. I, it, I thought it was the oddest thing, how it popped up in my recommended when I went on the network. I'm like, Oh fuck, we're going to talk about that tonight, but I didn't finish it. Um, it was okay. the WWE network is tracking your internet usage, yeah. Kyle. Yeah. Bruce Pritchard was a little full of himself on it, but whatever. Anyway, back to the cane finish. It was a great finish because the storyline heading the match was HBK cost Undertaker world title. He behaved like a complete jackass on television for two months. And Taker makes this point in the documentary. The story of the match was Michaels was being put in this cage to get his ass handed to him. Mm-hmm. And that was the, you know, the, what the fans wanted to see. And the only way Michaels could win this would be, I don't know, if the Undertaker's presumed to be dead half-brother happened to show up that night. What do you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine thinking Shawn Michaels should have won this match clean. Imagine having that take. Giving, I, I can't. I cannot. Yeah, I cannot imagine, that. especially see, the way he had, like, like you said, how his character was on on TV at the time. Like it's again. I've mentioned this before uh, in other issues, like how we've been conditioned to think certain things aren't good, just be you know, just because whatever you know, like just because for years we said, and yeah, there are a lot of. You know, a lot of times when they do cheap finishes, it, it detracts the match. Not here. Like, ima- like, imagine if Undertaker lost clean to Shawn Michaels in this match. Like, what do we think of his character? It's like, you lost to the pussy. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. You know, so, um, you know, and, and that was the only way to debut Kane, mm-hmm. too. Like, I don't know what your guys' feelings were, if you can remember. I mean, obviously, this is 22 years ago. Like, when I was watching that storyline play out on Raw for months, I was like, this seems like it's going to be bad. <laughs> like Paul Bearer with the whole, oh, Kane's alive. It's like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. This seems like, but, you know, a character's only got one chance to debut. And mm-hmm. the fact that Kane is still on WWE TV 22 years later, which is probably a different podcast for a different day, tells me it was a pretty damn good debut. And, and Vince's whole, that's got to be Kane. Great call. 
Great call by the chairman. My hat's offense. Yeah, the, the debut didn't go off with a hitch. Like, there, yeah, there was the the issue with the door when he came in. But I mean, at the time, I didn't watch the pay per view live. I don't know about you guys, but seeing like no. the still shots on Raw the next night of Kane's debut, it was, freaking blew my mind as a thirteen year old. I thought it was the perfect way to debut him, and yeah, I liked it. Justin, what do you recall at the time from this match? I I was like you. I didn't get to see it live, so it was kind of the excitement of the stills on Raw. But uh, I just I remember going back and watching it and just being blown away. And I mean, it really is one of the most iconic matches for all the reasons you guys have laid out. You know, the the story going in, the story going out, the the story in the match. Uh, Shawn Michaels, you know, being a bump machine. Uh, you know, the debut of Kane. Um, it's truly iconic. You know, whereas uh, Undertaker, Mankind, just has two legendary and iconic moments mm. do you guys yeah, remember I mean, oh, go ahead kyle and then i'll jump no in. no sorry sorry no, you go ahead first. i was gonna ask you do you guys remember when it was when and where it was the first time you saw this match i'll start with justin i do not i and i'm even trying to remember how i would have watched pay-per-view I, you know i think hollywood video here in town i think released uh, the pay-per-view. So I'm assuming I, I would have rented it. It's funny I, you mention I, that. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I don't remember, I don't recall what the delay was from, you know, it airing live to them releasing it on VHS. This was, this was at the tail end of the WWF, like Coliseum video experience. And I recall this being an incredibly hard Coliseum video to get a hold of. Was it the last one? Uh, they released Survivor Series on Coliseum Video, but I don't okay. know about the release order. But they used to, if you remember the In Your House shows, this this was In Your House Bad Blood. They always had, they were never called that on Coliseum Video. Um, like, what was Canadian Stampede? They, they always had like these weird names for it. But I, I do remember that this one was Rampage 97, and that was Bad Blood 97. Yeah. And it was, remember- it was super hard to get a, get a hold of. Go ahead. Yeah, I remember uh, In Your House 4 and 5. Remember they combined them together into one tape because those shows aren't very good. It was like yeah. Winter Combat or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Winter Combat. Uh, Canadian Stampede was Maximum Impact 97. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I guess as far as the numbered tapes go, this the number of, of the Coliseum video was WF-176 for Rampage 97, which followed WF-175, which was Survivor Series 97. So yes, it may have been the last printed Coliseum video, and I could never get a hold of it, so I started getting really into eBay around this time, and I was buying uh, up the yes. Coliseum videos, and they were super high-priced. And I remember this one always went really high, and I hadn't seen it, and I, I wasn't quite into tape trading quite yet. Um, and somehow it was also released by WWF home video as bad blood. And that was the version I got on VHS a couple years later. And that was, I don't remember if that was like an international version or if they double released it here in the U S but that was the one I had. And, uh, that was the first time I saw it. So I, I know it was at least a couple years later. What about you, Kyle? It was, I want to say, Early 98, maybe? It was the very first tape I bought off eBay. And I'm sure I way overpaid for it. Yeah. <laughs> if for you bought it dubbed, then, definitely. A, a dubbed copy of a single pay-per-view. <laughs> um, 
yeah, probably paid like $20 for it, a mm-hmm. second generation dub copy. But yeah, very first thing I ever bought off eBay. Interesting. So we were doing similar things around that time period. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I do want to stick up for Mick Foley here with, with the, because uh, full disclosure, it's my second favorite Hell in a Cell match, Undertaker Foley. Um, if you read Have a Nice Day, and I assume we probably all have, it's been a while for me, but this part of the book always stuck out to me when he went through his approach to the King of the Ring 98 match. And he really lets you understand why he did what he did. Um, that match had no real storyline going in at all. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, at the time, WWE basically had four main eventers. Austin, Foley, Taker, and Kane. And they just kind of mixed them up. You know, they wanted to have Taker. They couldn't have Taker and Kane work again. Um, so it was just kind of like Taker and McFoley were the semi-main. Just because. Um, remember, WWE did not have a deep roster at all at that time. Um, Taker was banged up, if I remember. I think he had an ankle injury going in. And Foley, he said he made two mistakes before that match. One was watching the Michaels-Taker match, and he immediately realized, holy shit, we have no chance of topping this. So keep that in mind, sports fans. And two, uh, he then began talking to Terry Funk. And the two of them somehow, you know, in talking, convinced Mick that what if he just got thrown off the top of the cell? And obviously we all know what happens. Throwing the, the hell in the cell. And my God, don't get him over here where we are. What's going to happen here? Undertaker fighting back. He's fighting back. They're out of us, folks. And I don't like it a damn bit. Oh, my God. Um, Justin mentioned it before, and I kind of talked about it with crescendos. Um, the two bumps Foley takes are completely insane. Probably the two most spectacular in the history of the industry. First is more iconic. The second is the more severe. But this match crescendos at the beginning, I guess is probably what Justin and I are both saying. You know, after the two big bumps, what do you remember from the match? Basically the shot of Foley laying there in the corner with his tooth in his nose. Mm-hmm. I got to be honest with you, I'm not sure 100% that the finish is a tombstone. I think it is, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other thing I throw out there, was this the first time that uh, uh, tax were ever brought into WWE? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that's significant. Mm-hmm. True. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's definitely my second one, my second most favorite one too, because of just it's an iconic match. I mean, you think of the Attitude Era, you think of that match. Uh, it's it's not as good of a, a wrestling match as we said as HBK Taker. That's a five star match, but this one just for the memorable shots and the big moves, it's it's got to be up there. I mean, this is by far the most talked about match in, in Mick Foley's career. Um, Did I, you I watch wanna, this live? I did not. I, I saw it soon after, though. It wasn't that much. Li- I think I rented it. I'm pretty Justin. sure. Did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I am not sure. But for some reason, 
I, I think I did watch this live. I this might have been one of the few times I actually talked my dad into uh, renting a WWF show, and next I I remember him watching it with me and him being kind of blown away by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember watching this live, and I very much remember my buddy's face, the look that like when he just saw the bump, I kind of like looked over, and we were just like, "Holy shit!" We had a bunch of people in the room, but I just remember my one buddy's face, and it was just, I mean, it was crazy. And um, like you mentioned, it is it's one of the most famous matches in professional wrestling history. Yeah. Um, and if, if you showed it to me like right now, that spot when he gets thrown off the cage, I would still kind of get like, you know, the goosebumps, mm-hmm. not like rock when he came back in 2012. But, you know, yeah, it got four and a half stars in the observer. Um, That's I- fair. Yeah, it's definitely a match of the year contender. I mean, how could it not be? Yeah. Funny enough, speaking of watching it live and stuff, I do remember, Justin, me and you have often talked on the show about like listening to the pay-per-views through it being scrambled back in the 90s and stuff like that. Um, I do remember I can actually remember the night this pay-per-view aired because the one match I remember like listening through the fuzz was the first blood match between Kane and Austin. And I remember I. For some reason, I can like vividly remember I was playing basketball in my front yard and I kept running inside, like listening to the pay per view. And uh, I remember like later that night listening through when Austin lost the title and being like stunned. But uh, I don't remember listening to this one at all for some reason. But uh, it was the one everyone was talking about afterwards. Yeah. Spoiler alert I was there the next night when uh, Austin won the title back from Kane. That was in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was in Pittsburgh, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. So I do want to ask, you br- You brought up uh, Foley's biography, Kyle, and uh, I'm not sure if Justin's read it or not. I'm, I've read it a couple of times. It's one of my favorite wrestling books ever. Yes. And uh, he is very steadfast in that book of saying that when he went through that cage the second time, it was unplanned. The cage gave way. Do you guys buy that, Kyle? Mick's always been a pretty honest guy. I mean, I think the story was I always thought the story was that it was supposed to, like, not give the way it did. Like, it was supposed to kind of be like a slow thing where he would kind of, like, roll off of it into the ring. Hmm. And that's what I always the story I always understood. But I mean, obviously, it just I mean, that you agree that bump is way worse yeah. than the first one, because the first one, if you watch it in slow, he does. I mean, obviously, I'm not doing it. But, you know, he kind of, like, guides himself as safe as he can. The second one, man, he just, like, you know, the cage just gives, and he just drops, like, a rock into that hard ring. And I can't remember if they had changed the rings yet. Like, for WWE, I think they were still using that really fucking hard ring they always use. Yeah. And then it's even worse because the chair that was at the top of the cell falls down with them and, like, hits him in the face. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it so bad. Yeah, it, yeah, it still would have been the same ring because they didn't change it until uh, uh, Austin and McMahon in, at the uh, uh, Valentine Massacre. Yeah, that's right. You're correct, that's and that right. was right before WrestleMania. Ninety-nine. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, most people that point to this being planned is after the spot when Foley's laying in the ring, you can see zip ties visible on the mat. So apparently. Something was planned, whether or not it was that the cage was supposed to break or not. I don't know. But I I think, like you said, Kyle, the thing that makes the spot so crazy is the chair coming down and hitting him in the face. I mean, that to me, that's what makes the spot just even crazier. So even if falling through the cage is what was planned, um, 
I don't think that was planned. <laughs> so Jerry Lawler going that city's dead mm-hmm. is a great call. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's it's legendary. I have to put that at number two, but I just, I love the, the Michaels-Taker match so much more. So interesting that Shawn Michaels basically got to write the rules because he went first with both Hell in a Cell and the ladder match. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, there's a lot of people who say, who, you know, if, if you watch Michaels-Taker, that we're talking about here, or, you know, Sean and Ray, Michael's Ramon and that ladder match, recipe 10. If you watch it with like the 2019 shades on, you know, you're like, well, I've seen more spectacular than this, but you've got to put yourself in the 94 in the 97. What those matches meant in those respective years was so much more. And we're going to get into this in a little bit. Then, maybe crazier bumps you see in the modern day. Mm-hmm. It was just so like both matches were just so far beyond what at least I could conceive a professional wrestling match could be at that time. Whereas like now you just kind of expect these bumps to take place. Yeah. You know, it's like the old Jim Cornette thing. Guys are taking, you know, bumps that are three times worse for one third of the reaction. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, I think this may have actually been the first when they switched over from Coliseum to WWF video. I think this was like the first one maybe that I found in the store. I think even WrestleMania 14 was kind of hard to find. I actually vividly remember buying King of the Ring 98 in a Sam Goody at the mall. I think so. I, it was probably like three to four months or so after the show aired. I saw this for the first time. And yeah, you can't undersell that enough, Kyle. It was so crazy for the time period. And that's why it was so memorable. Talk about an overpriced Sam Goody. Jeez. <laughs> Is Sam Goody even around anymore? No. Yeah. Long out of business. Um, okay. So we wanted to go before we break down and just kind of give out our, our top four, the Mount Rushmore's that we have here. Let's talk some underrated and overrated. Hell well, well for, I just want to ask one quick question. Send this around the horn to you guys. Did the two matches that we just talked about, Michael's Taker, and mankind taker did they set a quote in quote impossible bar to follow i mean if we're both saying if we're all all three of us are saying these are like our top favorite two is there something to that mr joint go ahead i feel like i mean i don't understand why anybody couldn't at least equal the first one i mean that you know a lot of that is just great storytelling well i think you answered your question <laughs> great storytelling is is few and far between in modern wwe mm-hmm. yeah um i think the bigger problem is undertaker mankind setting a precedence for just you know the danger aspect of it yeah and that that's what almost kind of ruined hell in a cell for a while mm-hmm. because you just expect it you know and yep i'm gonna mention this when we talk about another foley hell in a cell um I always kind of got the vibe watching it that the crowd was sort of waiting for him to do something like that again. And it kind of actually hurt the match a little bit, Um, you know, to Justin's point. I kind of think it's like almost the TLC matches, how it 
it kind of forced the performers and, and, you know, the promotion should honestly know better that it's still about storytelling, but you know, it, it became more like, well, stunt show mm-hmm. over storytelling. And you're not going to match the bump ever that Mick Foley did. You're just not. And Nor should you try? Yeah, exactly. And that, 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 that's true. Um, I mean, even when Mick, you know, did another big fall, you know, through the cage into the ring, they gimmick, they obviously gimmick the ring, um, you know, a couple years later. So I, I think there is something to the quote impossible bar to follow. Justin has it with, Hey, if you tell a great story, you put it in the right situation, you can do it. But expecting modern WWE to do that, I think is, um, foolhardy. Yeah. I would Ryan agree with Rossi. you guys. I, yeah, I would agree with you guys. I think, I think the, uh, I guess the technically the third one, the undertaker mankind one, I think that, set the bar high as far as everyone expecting a car crash in these matches versus uh you know great psychology and and a well-worked match like michael's taker so i think i think it took a while for the uh expectations to change for this match because after that and that that replay i mean it was on the raw intro back then of Mm -hmm. mankind coming off the side of the cage i mean that's the kind of thing everyone was looking for after that i think it just overall changed the expectations for what people were looking for in a hell in a cell yeah, and again, I respect the hell out of McFoley, you know, kind of taking inventory of his situation and being like, hey, I want to give the fans something. I want to have something that people are going to remember. I understand his line of thinking, why he did that. Because as I said, there was no storyline entering that, basically entering that Mankind Taker match. This was not, you know, the thick of their feud in 96. You know, that, that wasn't part of this at all. This was just like, hey, we got two guys. We're going to put them in hell in a cell. And one of them's banged up. And, and Foley's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going above and beyond. Mm-hmm. So I understand why. And I always respect effort. But I do think he unintentionally set an impossible bar there. Yeah. All right. So overrated and underrated hell in a cell matches. I think there's probably several we could point to here, Kyle. You've got a lot of them here in our show notes, and uh, I know there's one in particular as far as the overrated side. Oh, that you to have about. I waited for this part of the program? <laughs> You've been waiting all night for this one, baby. Here yeah. we go. So I just rewatched this match a couple hours ago to confirm my belief because I, I don't like to be wrong on this show. I don't like to lead our listeners astray. I like to give them the truth. So. At the risk of sounding like Dan Deerdorf here, you know, remember fans, the first down means 10 yards. Allow me to state the obvious. <laughs> By overrated, it's a match where I'm just lower than the general consensus. By a, a considerable margin, whether you want to measure in star ratings or just public opinion, general opinion, um, what, what have you. So my pick for the most overrated Hell in a Cell match is Triple H and Taker in Mania 28. The end of an era. Yes. <laughs> um, and I'm going to tell, tell you why here. I, I thought, you know, we, we've talked about this with some maybe recent NXT main events. It, it was very self-indulgent and, and just, you know, like, you hate to use this word, like, just masturbatory at times just because the participants are acting like everything is so epic and the announcers keep telling you everything is so epic it don't make it epic folks Mm -hmm. and for me i'll I'll go here 
I think this match is guilty in many ways of same of this of some of the same stuff Hogan matches were rightly criticized for back in the day in terms of just like ridiculous overacting. <laughs> Your response initially to that is my choice for an overrated hell in a cell. <laughs> I got two words first. Are they suck it? <laughs> Dan Deerdorf. <laughs> Do the ass man voice. That is that that is a name I didn't ever expect to hear on top of nation. Dan Deerdorf. I will never forget. I was watching a game, like one of the final games. Dan Deerdorf was commentating. It may not have been one of the final ones. It may have been one, just one of the last couple of years. If you don't know who Dan Deerdorf is, he was a, a commentator for many years for the NFL. Uh, and I was watching this game. I'm like, God, Dan Deerdorf is so bad. And then I went on Facebook, and my buddy, and like a buddy of mine, just had written on Facebook, "It's time to send Dan Deerdorf to the glue factory." Oh, and I, God. I can't tell you how much I like that person. Now he actually officiated my wedding. Oh, <laughs> solely because of that comment? No, no not solely, but um, you know, it was you know, definitely raised him up a notch at the time. <laughs> no, but anyways, actual response to that. Um, I liked the match okay at the time. I did think it was a little overrated. I watched this one on pay-per-view. I uh, had some people over. I remember watching it at my first house. And, uh, you know, your buddy Dave Meltzer gave it four and three-quarter stars. Like I said, overrated. Because to me, <laughs> I think there are some people, and maybe it's you guys, and, you know, I mean, I love you. Okay, both regardless. I'm not going to run from that. <laughs> I, it just it is not a contender for my Mount Rushmore. It would maybe sneak into my top ten, but it is not in contention for a Mount Rushmore, and it's certainly not a four and three quarter star match. I agree with that. It's it's definitely not four and three quarters to me either. I'd probably put it around the four mark. Uh, I haven't watched it in a long, long time though, but I do recall thinking even at the time that people are overrating a little bit. Justin, um, I mean, I. <laughs> Uh-oh. I love I loved it at the time. Um I can't say I've really rewatched it recently, but I I wonder if that spot with the super kick into the pedigree kind of made it more than it actually was just cuz that was a, a big like is this it moment, you know, set, to end the streak me, and set me up Justin, keep setting me up. Just keep <laughs> serving it up. Keep loving it, baby. That's that softball is so Fucking big right now. In front Jack of my Daniels face. is setting in now. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Because I, I haven't. I actually just. I have that like as this bolded note here on my own page. So you go right go ahead. ahead. There it is. Okay. He's, li- he's the lobbed the softball. Okay. Here it comes. Uh, to be positive here. To reiterate something, you guys. The crowd, the live crowd, liked this a lot. In the bill, in the Citrus Bowl, they they, they did like it a lot. Um, and it was the culmination of a four-year storyline between Taker and Michaels and Triple H. Uh, love the memory remains playing when they lower the cage. That was a nice touch, the Metallica song. Um, the, I believe the only decent song on Reload, uh, for the record. Now let's get into the negatives. <laughs> there, there's a lot of this match that just makes no sense to me. You have early on Triple H constantly telling Sean to end it. And I really don't know why. There wasn't that much punishment like given, especially compared to other cell matches of the past. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Maybe that's where the PG era hurts. Don't know. 
Um, but then you have Michael's kind of showing compassion to Taker during all this. Like, hey, man, I, I should just end this. And Taker's like, no. And you're just, I'm sitting there like, why would anyone end this match at this point? Well, why is this happening? And then even more confusing is Taker turns on Michaels for no good reason. Despite the fact Michaels was showing him compassion, puts him in the Hell's Gate. Now, Justin mentioned it. It does lead to the memorable spot of Sweet Chin Music pedigree near fall, which is the highlight of the match. But then Triple H turns on HBK for no reason and, like, throws him out of the ring. Mm-hmm. And there were some good near falls during the, not just the Sweet Chin Music pedigree situation, but there were some others that the crowd really bought. And, you know, because Taker had the streak, that was a big deal and did have heat. I'll give you that. But, like, HBK was, like, really bad with the overacting here. Like, he was he was just so conflicted because it was the end of an era. My God, these these two men, I, I just don't know whether to count or run to the hospital and get a doctor. It was just kind of really cheesy and bad, I thought. And, of course, it's Triple H and Undertaker in the 2010s, so the match went too long. And they went way past the peak, uh where they were having those near falls had the crowd into it. And then they're like, they went five minutes too long. So to me, I I think this is the most overrated based on, you know, you said it Meltzer gives it four and three quarters. I think there are a lot of people who might consider this in their top four for me. No way. Well said. (laughs) I thought so. He's heated. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think uh, Justin hit something nail on the head there. He said, you know, I haven't really gone back and watched it. And for me, when I was formulating this, my top four, that's kind of what I looked to. And frankly, there aren't a lot of matches in recent WWE history that you go back and watch multiple times. I mean, I think about how many times I watched that Michaels Taker match or even Michaels Foley and a couple others I'm going to mention here in a little bit. This isn't one that I think maybe I watched it a second time at some point, but uh, not recently, not in, in the last five years, that's for sure. And so it's hard for me to put it in the top four. Two hours ago, I think, was the second time I've ever watched it. Like, I remember having a couple people over at the time, too, like that quote-unquote casual fan. Mm-hmm. And they weren't that into it, as you think. Like, like you would think that that would be the kind of fan who would, like, love this. And, like, the the undercard, like, oh, who are these, like, loser small guys? You know? Oh, but it's Triple H and Taker. Go. I remember I had a buddy, very vividly, said he liked Punk Jericho on that show better than Triple H Jericho. Or Triple H Taker. I don't know if I agree with that take necessarily, but someone else said it in the room live. Mm-hmm. Casual fan. So the other the other overrated one you got on this list, Kyle, and this one I would highly, highly agree with because even at the time I didn't think it was much to talk about was the uh, the six man Armageddon two thousand. This is one that Dave Meltzer gave four and a half stars. <laughs> we're just sticking that. We're sticking I'm that. I'm sorry, knife but right man, that is, ins- that is insane for this yeah. match. Because I, I mean, I remember I was 16 years old at the time and just I wanted to see everything pro wrestling. And this was a match at Armageddon that I was not even remotely like going out of the way to see. I didn't watch it live. Um, this was, by the way, this was the seventh Hell in a Cell match in WWE history. Uh, and they hadn't had one since earlier that year, which is one I'm, we're going to talk about in February that year. We get to December of 2000, Birmingham, Alabama. Six guys in the ring at the same time. Uh, I think this was the, yes, it was the only multiple, you know, beyond a singles uh, Hell in a Cell, other than that tag one that was on Raw, the second ever Hell in a Cell. Otherwise, they had all been singles matches up to this point. And 
I didn't think it was that great at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised. I didn't have the Observer at the time, so looking back now, I'm very surprised he gave this one four and a half stars. Justin, do you remember watching this one for the first time? You know, my big takeaway with this one was the realization that uh, the spot, you know, the Hell in a Cell uh, danger spot, just it, it couldn't go on because I the Brikishi thing was kind of corny for me. Um, and, and it, I guess, I don't know, it just kind of put a damper on the hell in a cell until, you know, they just, they had to change it. They they had to get it away from the, the dangerous spot and more into storytelling, which, you know, did they do that or not? I don't know, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I'm, I was kind of like with you guys. I was just a little disappointed by the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Kyle, yeah. J- you hit the nail on the head, Justin, with, you know, corny. I, I have in my notes the word contrived. Because the end of this match was just way too contrived. You had Vince like trying to tear down the cell, so they bring out the truck, which is just to set up Rikishi taking the bump off the top of the cage. And you're right, they were just looking for creative ways to do stunt bumps at that point, rather than you know tell a story. Um, and, and you know, 2000 WWF is one of the best in ring years ever. By the way, the promotion ever had. I have seen what I consider the best matches of that year multiple times. And this is just not up there with him. This is not up there with, um, you know, TLC. It's not up there with Triple H Cactus, the Rumble. It's not even the best Hell in a Cell match of the year 2000, quite frankly. We'll probably talk touch on that later. It's not as good as Triple H Jericho, Last Man Standing. It's not as good as the Iron Man between Triple H and Rock. So... You know, to me, four and a half stars means match of the year contender. This was not a match of the year contender. So that it made my overrated list for that. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk underrated. Hell well, do songs. you guys have any other, like, I mean, is there any o- other matches that you feel are overrated between the two of you? I, to me, the, the one that stood out was this one. This was the one okay. I, I went to right away. So outside of that, I don't really have. Did you have one, Justin? <laughs> no, I don't even know, if, you know, outside of... I think, you know, the five or six we'd say are, you know, really good if anybody really even talks about them. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some, there's yeah. quite a few of them that are rated like three-ish stars in the Observer that aren't the greatest ones. So, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I guess, yeah, to be overrated, it has to be something that a lot of people want that, you know, gets maybe that high rating. or like, And to be fair, I think Meltz is probably – I wonder if he would walk that rating back. Now, if he if he read it, mm-hmm. because yeah, there, I, I mean, I have never really heard a lot of other people considering that among the best Hell in a Cell matches. You know that that's like I was just stunned when I saw that rating, and I went back to watch it, and I was like, no. But you know, to me, Triple H Taker, I, I like I said, I think um, in terms of overrated, that that fits the bill because you know you guys just kind of mention it that a lot of them are proper a lot of the ones that wouldn't be on our mount rushmores i think are properly rated for instance let me just throw it like i don't think anyone really likes the michaels triple h one from bad blood 04 mm-hmm. like no one's ever said that's a good match didn't go long enough oh, still. <laughs> <laughs> i mean no one no one is going to shed tears nor should they for chris redacted anymore but you know i mean he, he beats the he beats them both uh in successive months and then they made event over his title run so you know. 
<laughs> Talk about masturbatory. <laughs> uh, you know, if, as we talk about uh, the underrated matches, a couple things jump out to me. Now, everyone's going to talk about The Undertaker as probably the king of the Hell in the Cell matches, just because when you look at the Mount Rushmore, I'm assuming he's going to appear several times on all of our lists. And we've already well, talked we already, about we already twice, know too, for sure. Yeah. And probably a third time on most of ours. So I think it goes without saying Taker is probably the king of the, of the Hell in the Cell match. But there's some other names out there, too, that you could... You could throw in there. Now, you just mentioned Shawn Michaels and Triple H, so Shawn had the greatest one with Taker in 97, but outside of that, you can't really point to a great one with Shawn. I mean, Shawn and Triple H worked Cody and Ted DiBiase Jr. in 2009 in the Hell in a Cell, and it was it was an okay match, but not fantastic. So I, I can't call Shawn Michaels the king of the Hell in a Cell. But there's a couple other guys who have had some really good Hell in a Cell matches that could lay claim of outside of The Undertaker. They're right up there as far as the master of the Hell in a Cell. And one of them's Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar has had a couple really good matches in Hell in a Cell. Uh, you look, Kyle, you mentioned it, the one with Taker in 2015. And another one with Taker back in 2002. Now there's a, yeah. there's a general theme there. The Undertaker as well. Right, but another guy you could point to, Dave Batista. Uh, Dave Batista is going to be on my list. Spoiler alert: He's had uh, some pretty good Hell in a Cell matches too, with again the Undertaker and Triple H. So when we look at when we look at underrated, Kyle, you had Batista and Triple H from '05 on your list. Uh, what what do you have about that match? Yeah, and then I guess we should give the old devil his due too. Triple H obviously deserves. I mean he. Triple H, it's funny because very when we go back to that overrated one, Triple H, Undertaker, it was very much built as like these are the two guys who have been in the most Hell in a Cells. Mm. And so, again, it, it, that sounds great on paper. I, I just don't think it played out well. I mean, and some of it had to do with their age at the time, but whatever. Um, let's get to a real good Hell in a Cell match involving Triple H, ironically, uh, against Batista, Vengeance 05. Couple months ago, I think it was, I mentioned SummerSlam 2013 as being right below WrestleMania 10 as having the best one-two combo of matches on a pay-per-view in WWE history. Vengeance 05 is in that discussion too. For having two great matches. The Triple H Batista Hell in a Cell, which we're gonna get into, and then Michael's Angle 2. Oh, yeah. Vengeance right. 05 is a strong show. And I remember why that was. You guys remember? ECW One Night Stand had just happened. Mm-hmm. And the crew was motivated as fuck. <laughs> to, I like how you said that. <laughs> yeah, turn, to turn it up. So I watched Triple H again because I wanted to confirm my belief. I always liked Triple H Batista. And it was funny, Justin was sending us some lists during today. And apparently someone had this as their number one, which is <laughs> even higher than I'd go. I have it as my, as my number three. Spoiler alert, it makes my Mount Rushmore. But I watched it again last night, and I loved this storyline. I think it's something I've gushed about on the program before. I'm going to go, I'm going to come in hot here, guys. I think Triple H Batista, this feud with kind of the whole, you know, breakup of evolution, and then this was the blow off, Hell Assault. I think it may have been the last great long-term planned out main event storyline WWE did. Wow. That is in the sense that it's an idea they came up with 
It was not, they were not pushed in a direction by the fans like Daniel Bryan. Okay. They, it, this is something that they wanted to do. They executed it to perfection and it drew money. Remember, WrestleMania 21 did a hell of a number. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't John Cena at the time. John was in a semi main position against JBL. That was solely on the back of Triple H Batista. Watch the TV from that period. People loved this Dave Batista. And I the segment where he turns, where he gives the thumbs up and then thumbs down, I think is one of the great Raw segments. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I, I just absolutely love this storyline. And this was the blow off. So lo- a couple things on the match. Triple H, the challenger, you know, they built never lost to Hell in a Cell. So you got to consider him the favorite over Batista, who's never been in one. Simple but effective. Um, something that got me right into this match from the start, uh, them very audibly calling each other motherfuckers at the start of the match. Okay. That's going to win me over pretty quickly. I enjoy that. Uh, Jim Ross, who we've been critical of on recently on this program, he has this great public service announcement where he's like, I want to be up front folks. This may not be for the younger members of the family. It's very, uh, violent. I, I just thought it was amusing. JR. For, for everybody out there, j- just so they know, we start every podcast uh, before we start recording by calling each other motherfuckers. Yes, we do. That, that's how <laughs> we fire hyped. each other up. Yeah, yeah. We're just like, motherfucker, are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> and this match had believable near falls. That's something that, you know, I think I criticize a lot about modern wrestling. They, you know, they do these early two counts. Like, yeah, I'm like this is going to be the fucking finish. Um, so these guys waited for a while to start going for pinfalls. And, and that made it better. And I love the finish of this match where Batista picks Triple H up for the Batista bomb, but Triple H grabs the sledgehammer as he goes up, and he goes to try to hit Batista with it, but Batista drops him for the powerbomb first and gets the pin. That is a great finish. Mm -hmm. So I I love this match, and it made my Mount Rushmore. Same. I'll go into some reasons why when we we get to the Mount Rushmore so I have something to talk about. (laughs) But I think think you hit the nail on the head there, though, for sure. any any others that we think are underrated that we want to talk about? Uh, well, I would say, uh, you know, if we're looking at Sports Illustrated, uh, <laughs> HBK <not>. <laughs> Undertaker is quite underrated as being the sixth greatest uh, Hell in a Cell match of all time. So that is very underrated. <laughs> <laughs> what a bad article that was. You will find, if you look up top Hell in a Cell matches... You will find some very bad articles. I was I was shocked at what I was reading earlier today. The, the other one I'd point out is what culture has a top ten that doesn't even have Taker Mankind on it. That, that was that was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, it has Triple H and Jericho, which is yeah, actually bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is actually bad. Hey, you know, but you know that was from that same. You know, we just did Backlash two thousand two for Top Rope Classics, Ryan, and, and we were talking about you know how. Triple H, the presumed smartest man in wrestling, he kind of he got out politic by old Hul- the whole Hulkster during that period. So of course, you know what you know what do we the fans pay? Uh, what price do we pay? Well, you know, let's bring Jericho back to do a big job to Triple H in a, a boring Hell in a Cell match. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that kind of would lead into a good discussion too, real quick on the worst Hell in a Cell matches. Because you I mentioned think, that being a bad one. I think everyone's going to agree on the worst one. You can go yes. to WrestleMania 15 for that one. Yeah. I, Woof. Yeah. That one is so far below the rest, it's, like, shocking. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 
it's almost like the the better discussion is what's the second worst. Yeah, and speaking of that, we we could do a whole show on WrestleMania 15 and kind of what a letdown that show was. <laughs> but uh, I it think is that's not a good WrestleMania. No, and that's kind of indicative it, of it. That was that was not a good match. I mean, you're talking about. That was only the fifth Hell in a Cell match in WWE history at the time. There hadn't been that many, so people were kind of excited for it. Uh, but, uh, man, if there was excitement, it didn't live up to it. The hanging thing with Boss Man was kind of cringeworthy. Um, yeah. Heel versus heel? Yeah. Not the best. I felt bad for those second, fans in Philadelphia that night. Yeah. I think the second worst might be Taker Kane 2010. If you haven't seen it, it's... You know, just hearing Taker versus Kane 2010 should kind of tell you all you need to know. Yeah. that. Yeah, you're right. That one was not good either. Um, what else? There was one in like 06 with, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, Sean and Triple H against, yeah, Shane, Big Show, and Vince McMahon. Not a great one. That's not great, but it's... At least Nash kind of and Triple H also, 03. Yeah, but where they had to have Mick Foley as the ref to entertain us. <laughs> Some I, I can't remember who it was. One of my friends I was texting about we were going to do this show, and they're like, "Oh, well, definitely got to get Nash and Triple H on that list," you know, in a joking manner because that was a not not good match. Yeah, you no, know, that Michaels Triple H one from Bad Blood Four that we mentioned. That's a bad one. It's really boring. You know, Justin joked, "Oh, it wasn't long enough." Holy shit, was that match too long? <laughs> How long did that match go, anyways? I'm looking here. I think uh, 40 minutes. 47 minutes, 26 seconds. Oh, my goodness. Also, the second Bad Blood pay-per-view, right? Or no, the, the second Bad Blood pay-per-view. Technically, the third, I guess, if you go back to In Your House. Yes, yes. Bad Blood 04. Not good. Okay. So... Do we think that having uh, a pay-per-view now themed around the fact that it's called Hell in a Cell, we know every year when we're getting the Hell in a Cell matches, there, you know, there's script isn't the right word because all of wrestling scripted, but it's all like it's very routine, I guess I should say, very routine that every fall now we're getting the Hell in a Cell matches. Does that take away from the match uh, in your viewpoint, Justin? Uh, capital Y. Yes, period. <laughs> it's just it's dumb. You 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 have to shoehorn a match in to Hell in a Cell, which should be you know a match that's a culmination of a storyline. You know, which is part of the reason why like they've been basically forgettable for years now. And I, you know, part of the other problem is that it's PG, and you know, a lot of us who grew up with Hell in a Cell, it, it it's it's you know, kind of a bloody dangerous match. And now they're just kind of meh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. You hit it on the head. I think it's, it's just too routine now, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, just to hit my key points, uh, it's something else too. multiple cell matches on the same show. Yep. Whether it's because of, you know, you've got a brand split, you've got two world titles or having men and women. And by the way, before you all leap, Oh, you want to jump on me. For the record, we'll, we'll talk about this in the coming weeks. I think the, only the women should have it this year in 2019. So get off my back, jackasses. Um, <laughs> yeah, the sh- shoehorning it is so apropos. Just that's a great term. I, I had jam it in 
because it's October. But Hell in a Cell, it's like it's basically a cage match from the 70s on steroids, right? What was a cage match? It, it was the ultimate blow off hmm. for a long term program, not just because it's October. Yeah. You know, Hell in a Cell used to be a draw. It's funny. We all laughed and made fun of the Triple H Kevin Nash match at Bad Blood 03. That match drew. That match drew. Because and it wasn't because Kevin Nash, I'll tell you that much. Okay. It was because Hell in a Cell still mattered in 03. Mm-hmm. Look at the buy rates. That match did a shockingly good buy rate for a raw only pay per view in 2003. Compare that number to the other Raw-only pay-per-views of 2003. And and that was the first Raw-only pay-per-view, by the way. Uh, But, like, you're going to see, yeah, people, Hell in a Cell still matter then. You know, it would be so much better served if you use the gimmick organically during the, at, at, at whatever point in the year, a particular feud called for it. And the proof's in the pudding. I just mentioned it. The Hell in a Cell used to be a big draw. Now, when it became a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view in the pre-network era, so we're like 09 to 13, those shows didn't draw well. And to Justin's point as well, I'll piggyback on it, very few remember the matches themselves. I mean, let's look at the list on Wikipedia, none of which are on my Mount Rushmore, for the record. I mean, do any of you remember the... Roman Reigns, Bray Wyatt, Hell in a Cell from 2015. Nope. No. I don't either. Do either of you remember Roman Reigns? I'm, you know, we love Roman here on Top Rope Nation, so I hate to pick on him. But do, do we remember Roman Reigns and Rusev in 2016? <laughs> Vaguely. Not, not, not much about the match itself, though. Um, so, you know... John Cena and Randy Orton, not surprisingly, uh, had multiple Hell in a Cell matches uh, during that run, both 2014 and 2009. Yeah, Uh, which was not 2009 was the first year they went to the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view and they did three on that show. Yeah. Um, Randy Orton and Sheamus in 2010, anyone? Mm. There were some, you know, looking at this list, there's some I didn't even know existed. And granted, you know, I, you know, I was a fair weather fan there for a while. Like I, I didn't had no idea about Mark Henry and Randy Orton. They have a hell in cell match. Yeah. Did not know that. Mm-hmm. Your hall of pain era. Mark. Mm-hmm. Henry. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, Go ahead. No, I, I just think that like it, it is totally, we've talked about this before and you know, Ryan, I can't remember the term you used. You were searching for, you didn't want to say scripted. You were looking for a term. The term I always use is homogenized with WWE year over year. Mm-hmm. We, we've talked about this before. And it, it's just like elimination chamber, money in the bank. Yes, you know, just like Hell in a Cell, those have been successful gimmicks in the past that the crowd gets up for, you know. But when you just, they all kind of just run together. Yeah, it's just routine. Just becomes routine. It, it's just like, okay, well, it's, you know, it's February and somebody won a rumble. So we've got to establish the other title match. So we're just going to have that whoever we want in that spot, win an elimination chamber, mm-hmm. um, you know, money in the bank. I mean, what, what's your favorite elimination chamber match? What's your favorite match from the money in the bank pay-per-view again, similar to hell in the cell, all the money in the bank matches. I remember or when it was part of WrestleMania in the early years. Yep. Same, not the money in the bank pay-per-view. I couldn't, 
you know, Elimination Chamber, it was before it became a yearly pay-per-view are the ones that I lean towards. I, um, but I, I would still say, though, at least Elimination Chamber and Money in the Bank are generally at, at worst entertaining. I mean, if they're not good, they're at least entertaining. Whereas, you know, these Hell in the Cell matches, I, you know, you know, they're forgettable and generally just okay, maybe. Yeah, they run together. Like, mm-hmm. what? So the only one post. So I remembered. Obviously, they did Sasha and Charlotte, and there was um, was it New New Day and Usos had a tag team one. And those were like the first instances of giving Hell in a Cell the the women and a tag team. I remember those. There were a couple. Other, I remember they did Orton and Daniel Bryan in 2013. But I I struggle to remember these. The best one though, post 2009, is Brock and Taker in 2015. Yeah, I'd concur on that. I, th- I think. Same. I th- I think I, it just comes down to kind of what should be one of the golden rules in wrestling is that when you remove unpredictability pro wrestling sucks when it becomes routine pro wrestling's not interesting and when you've made hell in a cell which has always been such a cool match routine every october it's just not memorable anymore i mean i I think when we look forward to things like the new wednesday night wars and you know we gushed about nxt last week because it was something out of the ordinary right it's something new and these Hell in a Cell pay-per-views, they've just become expected. You're getting multiple Hell in a Cells a year at the same time. It's not a blow-off for a feud. It, yeah, it, it's taken away from the match. We could talk about other things, which I think are more trivial, like uh, like they changed the cage color to red, and you know they made the cage bigger at one point in time. I don't think that really matters so much. You wrote in our show, show notes here, Kyle. It's more about the story being told. But I think like you pigeonhole yourself so much when the story being told is, well, you can only do the Hell in a Cell match in October. So yeah. that, that's re- what it comes down to. For the yeah. record, I think like, you know, let's talk about the modern product. It fits for Sasha and Becky, given how they booked the first match. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they had the brawl that went everywhere and that makes sense. But like, why are they putting Seth and Bray First time out in Hell in a Cell, other than it's the Universal title match and the pay-per-view is called Hell in a Cell. There's yeah. no reason to do that. Yeah. You're actually just kind of watering down the one match where it works. And he- here's another point I'd like to make. Okay, I called it overrated, the Triple H Undertaker WrestleMania 20 match, and I'll stand by that remark. But a lot of people remember that one. It's one of the few people remember in the last 10 years. It didn't happen at a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, folks. It happened at WrestleMania. And... What was the one Hell in a Cell, although we don't want to admit it, and the match itself stunk, to be honest. It's probably towards the bottom of Hell in a Cells. What's the one Hell in a Cell in recent years that actually demonstrably raised business? How far 32? back are you going here? Yep, Justin said it. Shane and Taker. Yeah. Remember? Mm-hmm. They, they were, Ticket sales picked up. Yep. Yeah, they were afraid that they weren't going to do the record. In Cowboys Stadium, they announced that match and there was a big uptick in sales after that again. Now, that was not a long term story by any means. It was actually desperation booking because a lot of guys were hurt. But it shows that Hell in a Cell can still be a draw when used appropriately. But Mm. is this standalone pay-per-view? That's for the birds. (laughs) And we should talk about the PG stuff, too. Justin. 
touched on this. Um, do we? How much of an effect has that had on Hell in a Cell? In our opinion, I mean, I mean a little bit because we talked about the blood. You know, uh, Sean bled in the first match. We've got all the violence in the Taker Mankind match with the thumbtacks and. I know it wasn't planned, but the the chair to the face of mankind and his tooth in his nose and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff longtime fans are accustomed to. So yeah, when you go to no blood, I've always had a problem. I I don't think every match should have blood. I'm not barbaric yeah. by any means, but in the right circumstance, blood can add a ton to a match. Look at Cody and Dustin at AEW. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think. If you're going to buy people in a hell in a cell match, for Christ's sakes, the match has hell written in it. You need some blood. I mean, you just do. You look at the classic cage matches from the old NWA, WCW, like the flare blood baths, you know. That I do think the PG era has hurt it because it, it does take violence out of the out of the factor. And if 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 you're gonna be talking about again a match called Hell in a Cell and you're gonna separate that from your other cage matches, it does have to go to another level for people to buy it as something special, I think. Mr. Joint. No, I, I think you said that perfectly. Um, I guess, you know, if we're stuck in this mode where we have to have this pay-per-view, you know, let this one pay-per-view be, you know, you know, not R-rated, but let this one pay-per-view have blood. Yeah. Is, I guess, the only thing I would throw out there. Mm-hmm. Kyle, you posed the question. The only thing I'll say to the contrary is this. And this is why I firmly believe that it going to a yearly theme pay-per-view is a bigger negative than PG. A couple underrated cell matches, not on my Mount Rushmore, but ones that I liked were Batista Taker, Survivor Series 07, and Edge Taker, SummerSlam 08. And those were the first two of the PG era. True. And the, but the, they, they were both, in both instances, it made sense storyline-wise. Mm-hmm. To go to hell to sell. And yeah, maybe the blood hurt it a little bit, but you know, I, I just I, I still think the bigger factor is the yearly pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. Let's reveal our list. Let's get to the uh, the Mount Rushmores, our top four. I'll go first. So as we all mentioned, Taker Sean, Bad Blood 97, automatic. That's my number one. Uh Mankind Taker, King of the Ring 98. And then got a little harder, um, but my third is Batista Triple H Vengeance 05, and uh, I said I'd save a little of this for later when I talked about it. I just think that that match is the match that really solidified Dave Batista. That is the match that made him. Triple H put him over clean. Uh, the finish was awesome, as you mentioned a little bit ago, Kyle. You're talking about a multiple-year storyline you know, going back to evolution and everything. I think that belongs up there. And then in the four spot, I had a really hard time. I had like three matches. I was kind of rotating in and out. And even as the show was going on, I was still thinking about it. Came down to Cactus and Triple H at No Way Out 2000, Edge Taker at SummerSlam 08, and Brock Taker at No Mercy 2002. Um, I got to go with Cactus, Triple H, and No Way Out 2000. Now, I do remember at the time watching it and it didn't it wasn't as good as the royal rumble match the two had i still think that was the month before a much better match 
Uh, but as far as Hell in a Cell goes, you're talking about Mick Foley just, you know, a year and a half after that King of the Ring match with The Undertaker. People were hyped as hell for this match. It was looked at as, at the time as kind of like Mick Foley's farewell. Uh, despite the gimmicked fall, you know, it was it was still memorable. I mean, everyone watching at the time knew they were probably going to do something like that because that spot had been talked about so much from the King of the Ring match, and it was very clearly gimmicked. And I do remember at the time it kind of took a little away from me, and maybe that's barbaric to say. But overall, I mean, like the psychology of that match, it's it's a really, really good match. So I got I have to put that one in my number four spot. Kyle, your comment? No, I was going to say, that match, I'll save it for me because that, that match is also, it's funny. I think we may wind up with the exact same Mount Rushmore. I'll let Justin go first. Though. Okay, Justin. Um, everything you said, I just mine are my three and fours are flip flopped. Um, and, and Batista Triple H only really made mine today. Um, I I didn't remember watching it when it actually happened, so I actually just watched it earlier today and and loved it. Thought it was fantastic. Um, in everything you said, you know, it made Batista. Um, the Triple H and Cactus Jack, I just remember, you know, fully walking down saying, you know, when they said it was going to be held in the cell, and he says it's not going to be against mankind. You know, it's going to be against Cactus Jack, and he rips open the shirt, and I, that was one of the coolest freaking moments, you know, in, yeah. in, in Raw history. Yeah. That was so cool. And Triple H um, overselling something that's, like, kind of silly at face value was great. It totally made it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm with you. The match, like, in a way, kind of disappointed with, you know, the gimmicky, but it also worked. And and we can't forget that, you know, this was all to make Triple H as a, you know, a singles champion. You know, it started with the Royal Rumble and, and you know, kind of went on to WrestleMania 2000, which, but this was, this was good. I liked it. It's, it's, it's classic. Cactus Jack. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, Kyle. Okay. Yep. Uh, this is, <laughs> we're I guess, all on the same page. This is, this is kind of crazy this. how we're all on the same page. <laughs> so, yep. Number one is definitely Michael's Taker. Number two is definitely uh, Mankind Taker. Number three is definitely Triple H Batista. And number four came down for me to two matches. Um, Triple H and Foley from No Way Out 2000 or Brock Taker from No Mercy 2002. And it really is a coin flip deal for me. So it's funny, neither of you guys mentioned this. What kind of hurts Triple H and Foley in retrospect, at least for me, is that obviously, you know, it was Foley's career on the line. And then he comes back at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. It was like this, you know, I, I remember the emo- the whole emotion of Foley having his career on the line. It's like, oh, fuck, are they going to have him win the title? here and it, it very much made it like oh man he, he might actually win and they didn't it was a, a really emotional deal and then they kind of just you know reneged on the storyline and he showed up at wrestlemania and wrestled anyway in a very forgettable performance mm-hmm. so um now that said i remember going into it i was looking way more forward to that match than i was brock taker in no mercy out two um Ryan, we shared our mutual disgust for 2002 Biker Taker when we did the Backlash 02 show for Taco oh, Class. Oh, yes. And I remember being pissed when they went to the non-finish at Unforgiven the month before. And so for me, like, watching No Mercy 02 Live, I was like, 
I want Brock to just destroy him. And I watched this just before we started recording. This was the last one I watched. Dude, Brock Lesnar in 2002 is like a totally different wrestler. This guy, the way he moves was insane. We kind of talked about that too mm-hmm. in the Backlash Show 2 show. Holy shit. It was just a joy to watch. Um, and the blade job from Taker is insane. Give credit where it's due. He, he did go above and beyond and put Brock over huge in that match, which he should have done. Um, so it's a coin flip, but I'm going to go Triple H and Foley, which, by the way, first – was that the first instance of barbed wire? They, did they do – or did they do barbed wire at the Rumble too? They did at the Rumble. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, But he, it was definitely the first instance of fire because he, he they're at the top of the cage right before he gets backdropped and goes through the top. Um, you know, he sets the two-by-four on fire wrapped yeah. in barbed so that, that was a first there. So I'm going to go with that just because I was more into the storyline going in. But, man, Brock, it's a real coin flip with that Brock Taker No Mercy 0-2 match, which Paul Heyman, uh, hats off to him, blades in that match. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one in a long time. I'll probably rewatch it, but uh, I remember being awesome. And uh, oh. I knew I was going to have that on my list and possibly in the top four. Mick Foley was only 34, by the way, at No Mercy 2000, believe it or not. That, <laughs> Younger like, than I am right now. Crazy. Yeah, Jim Ross mentioned that. I was like, what? He was 34 <laughs> here? He was like moving like he was 64. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's not fair. That's not fair. He was still moving pretty well. But um, I kind of teased this. And to bring put a bow tie in this discussion with, did he and Taker set an, un, you know, an unattainable bar for every other match to follow that match did kind of suffer at No Way Out 2000 of everyone just sort of waiting for Cactus to take a big bump or them to get out of the cage. Now, to the credit of how the match was laid out, when Cactus throws the steps through the cage and it goes through, it Triple H ducks and it goes through the cage, the crowd immediately picks up on what that means and that the match is going to go outside. It's a really good reaction. Mm-hmm. 